for you to see that nothing happens by accident. The greatest things in your life will, will not have just merely happened. They will have been the product of things coming together. Now you might say, well, bro, some of the best things happen by accident. I would say some of the best things might happen out of your control, but that doesn't mean it happened by accident. And, so, and that's what we want to talk about primarily this morning. Spiritual victory is not accidental, and I don't want you to live accidental lives. Where at the end, everything that just happened was just random chance. I want you to see that there are things that you can do to help steer your discipleship, and then there's all the things that you can do to submit to a plan that's already there. But that plan is not an accident either. We're going to be looking at the story of Gideon. Gideon is in Judges 6, 7, 8, and on, but the story that we all know is Judges 6 and 7, the battle of Gideon and God calling Gideon, but we're going to read chapter 7. We're pretty much going to read the whole chapter this morning, but I'm going to break it up into three chunks. We, know, we might know the story of how Gideon actually is called, and he didn't want really to be called, but then he finally says, okay, I guess I can't escape, we're doing this. Uh, what's next? My first point is hardwired glory. And that doesn't have to mean anything to you right now. But I'll explain it in a little bit. So Gideon, starting in verse 2 of chapter 7, this is the forming of the army. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. So imagine that scene. You got 32,000, and two-thirds of them are like, I don't want to do this. And they just leave you. So imagine being one of those 10,000 men. They're like, can we still fight all these people? He goes on. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And what does that mean? There are some theologians that want to tell you why that's important. I really don't think it's that important. Because this is what happened. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So out of 10,000 guys, 300 of them drank like they picked up the water and lapped at it like that. God's like, oh, okay. 300? I can work with those numbers. Now Gideon might be like, well, I can't work with those numbers. God's like, that's the point. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. So here's what I mean by hardwired glory. We, in the business world, we try to avoid setting up a system or a structure that hardwires failure into our business plan, okay? So let's just say like you had like a bakery or something 
Let's say you own, a ba- you own a bakery and you make donuts. It costs you $2 to make every donut because you want the donuts to be super awesome. But you sell them for $0.30 cents a piece. You have hardwired failure into your business plan, right? If you don't sell any donuts, you fail. You lose money. And if you sell donuts, you still lose money. You have hardwired failure. So we try to avoid that. And so what we want to do, what would be awesome is if you hardwired success into your business plan. Where you're like, oh, we can't fail. Have you ever heard like, oh, they got a license to print money because they've got the market cornered on this? Or you know how else you hardwire success? Is you just buy up all your competitors? You just form a monopoly and you, you have something that everybody needs? You've hardwired success into your business plan. But here's my question. I want you to ask this. Am I so concerned about my success that I never think about what would bring God glory? God developed a battle plan here that was not sure in the eyes of Gideon. They were not sure about success. And in all honesty, they thought we're probably not going to make it. But there's one thing that was hardwired into the system. It was the glory of God. When we get through this on the other side... If we win, there's no doubt that everyone will be like, God did this. Gideon didn't do this. The guys didn't do this. Nobody did this but God. And you're like, okay, well, what does that have to do with me? The thing that first jumped to my mind is in our relationships. And so this applies to, I think, everybody in the room, but I'm going to specifically just talk to the marrieds for a sec. So husbands and wives... If you ever are having like maybe a little argument, maybe a little bump, maybe a little disagreement with your spouse, you're like, well, I'm going to win this one. And so I'm going to get all of my data together and I'm going to form all of my arguments and I'm going to make sure that I am hardwiring success into this engagement we're about to have. So when we sit down and talk, I leave the victor. And you never think that, oh, God actually promises to be with the humble. And God is glorified when when humble husbands (laughs) communicate with their wives. And yet we want to fight the way men fight. And this whole story of Gideon is about God is not fired up when men fight the way men fight. Are we hardwiring glory? I'm just going to use a, a hypothetical situation here because no one in the room has ever done this. So we'll just say this one brother was in campus ministry and he wanted to go to a campus retreat, which is great. I, it's a great goal. But he forgot to tell his boss. So he didn't get the time off work. So he decides, I'm going to go anyway. And he literally just abandons his job for the weekend and goes to the campus thing. And... At the, this is hypothetical. No one's done this. At the, at, at the campus retreat, he's like, yeah, you know, I, and he's talking to other bros, and, and he's like, you know, I didn't get the time off work, but hey, I got to you know, seek first the kingdom. And maybe one of those other brothers is like, amen, bro, preach it. You got to have your priorities. Okay. I get it. But let me ask you a question. That weekend... At his place of work, is God's name being glorified in his boss's mind? No. He, he didn't prepare himself, and he didn't have the courage to do what he needed to do. 
and he didn't hardwire glory into that system. And so now his boss and all his coworkers think, you have no character. You're taking the easy way out of everything. Your church, you know, is full of fools. I don't want that to be said about us. You know, in Psalm 20, verse 7, this was one of our uh, memory verses uh, for the kids this uh, last uh, term. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. But do we trust in all of our things? We don't have horses and chariots leading us into battle. We have our talents. We have our comfort. We have our technology. Do we trust in those things more than making sure the name of the Lord is glorified? Let's go on with, uh, with Gideon, though. Point number two, behind the scenes. This is where, you know, if there's one part of the Gideon story that people forget, it's this part, which I love this part. Starting right where he picked up. Verse 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. So, oh, here it is. Uh, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Now, I forgot to do this up front. So every so often, these Amalekites, Midianites, these, all these raiding tribes like, would just descend and take everything from the Israelites. Like, just take all their food, just ruin their water, all their resources would be gone. And so God is like, hey, we've got to put an end to this, and I'm going to have you do it. So this is how he does it. He goes down to the camp. The valley's filled with people. We learn later that those people were about 135,000 fighting men. And so Gideon's down there. He got rid of 30,000 men, and now he has 300 guys, and he's on the outskirts of the camp hiding. And this is what the, the friend says. I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites, the Midianite camp, into your hands. So, this is what's awesome. God at no point tells Gideon what he's going to do. He doesn't give Gideon the battle plan about how they're going to actually beat them. And he doesn't tell them what he's doing behind the scenes. God, we, they only just learned, has been basically plaguing these people with nightmares. And the ability to interpret those nightmares correctly and knowing like, Man, we're done for. And God's like, hey, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to encourage you a little bit here. I'm just going to throw a little encouragement your way. Go down and listen to what I've been doing. And go, Gideon goes down and just kind of eavesdrops. And, oh, wow. I didn't know God was working behind the scenes as much as he is. And then he learns just exactly what God has been doing. Here's a question I want you to ask about your life. What could God be doing behind the scenes? And this is where we have to like 
use our imagination. What could God be doing, not only in your life, but I'm going to talk a little bit here about evangelism. What could God be doing in the lives of the people around you that you know nothing about? Here's a crazy picture. This is, this is taken uh, in 2000. That's me. Chad Taylor, Brad Josephs, Mike, Eric, and Ron. And this is like the closest picture I could find to when I became a disciple. Yeah, just leave that up there for so everyone can post it. Um, so I met Chad at the library. They invited me to midweek. Brad's the one that asked me to study the Bible. And, um, and he told me later, years later, Brad said, hey, you know, I reached out to a lot of people that day. And of all the, I mean, like a hundred people that week probably. Of all the people I talked to, you were actually the most intimidating person. And I was like, I'm not that intimidating. He said, well, it was because you looked like you had everything together, like you didn't need what I had to offer. And it's true, because I got really good at telling people I don't need you. I'm fine. I had, uh, I had a, a regular phrase I'd say whenever campus ministries, when I was at Eastern, whenever they'd like invite me out to stuff, I'd be like, no, thanks. My dad's a minister. I go to church. I'm fine. And they'd be like, oh, oh, okay. And that was like my bug repellent for campus ministries. <laughs> and they would leave me alone. And then for whatever reason, it didn't leave these guys alone, Chad and Brad. And they asked me to study the Bible. And they did not know what God had been doing in my life. They didn't know all the crazy ways that God was preparing me to accept Jesus as Lord of my life. And maybe you can't relate to this. Maybe you, you, you didn't hit rock bottom. Like you didn't have a story where you were like desperate for Jesus. But I was. And they didn't know about um, all the fighting with my girlfriend. They didn't know about the drunkenness. They didn't know about, like, ruining my life. They met me. I had no job and no place to live, and I was kind of like just this bum hanging out on campus. And, and yet I still could, I could still put on that mask. I could still act like I was okay. But they didn't know any of that. Now, if someone were to approach you and be like, man, I just, I feel like God is really working in my life, pushing me to something. I, I try to fix my own life and it never works. Everything I try to make my life better fails. You'd be like, oh, I can help you. I'm going to say something a little, that I hope hits you a little hard. Some of you think that when you're not working, God's not working. Well, I'm too tired. So God must not be preparing anyone in the world right now to become a disciple. Or I'm just kind of discouraged. So no one, God has no one to put in front of me. And this is the way God works. He works on someone. He works on someone. He's, he's steering. He's like moving planets in someone's life. And then he introduces them to a disciple. And he's like, go for it. 
Come on. You got this. You don't have a clue what I've been doing. Just go for it. But we want, we want it like Gideon. Like, convince me. God, encourage me. Tell me that you're doing something, and then I'll obey. Just use your imagination. What could God be doing behind the scenes in your life, in your family's life, in your coworker's life, in your classmate's life? What could he be doing? Just make stuff up. Think about it. It, might, it probably won't be accurate, but at least you'll be thinking about the amazing power of God working in people's lives. You know, if you search the word victory in your Bible, most of those things pop up are going to be talking about how the Lord gives victory. But then we want to act like it's all on us, like we got to do all this work. We really don't. The victories that God gave everyone in the Bible, he wants to give to you too. But we have to trust him. So here's point number three. The battle plan. So this is where they actually fight. Now, this is probably what most people know about the, the Battle of Gideon. And uh, we'll just jump right into it. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do as exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands, holding in their right hands the trumpets, they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And that's not all. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So imagine, you've got 135,000 people in this valley, and 300 men in three groups of 100 go around at different parts and at one time they just start screaming they throw down these jars and all these lights come out of the darkness because they had torches in the light in the jars and then they start blowing these trumpets now the the military strategy behind this people think different things one torch bearer and one trumpeter for every like division of people but Gideon has everybody carrying trumpets and, and torches. So to the surrounding people, it looks like a million people. They're just doing the math quickly all around all the hills. And here's the thing. The 300 men were unified under one plan. The 135,000 men, they were all different people. They didn't even know each other. They were literally just raiding nomads set up in a valley together. And so when you look and every hill around you has torches and horns coming from it, you run this way and now people are running at you. Not to mention God had been doing like miraculous psychological things to them through these dreams. Like this is the plan. And guess what? And you know what it said? It said they just held their position. 
They literally just blew the trumpet, smashed the thing, held up the torch, shouted out loud, and everything happened in front of them. That was the battle plan. And that was the battle plan from the beginning. So here's, here's, my, here's my point about strategy, okay? Sometimes there are some situations where you want to make the perfect plan on how you will get through life. The perfect plan may have already been created, and you just have to obey it. Gideon did not have to devise the most amazing military strategy to beat the Midianites and Amalekites and all the Eastern peoples. All he had to do was listen to God and obey. And it happened in front of his eyes. And so, what are some of the things that you have taken it upon yourself to try to figure out your own life, how to live your own life, but you've cut out God, and there's already a great plan. You just have to obey it. Here's one, the importance of community. There's nowhere in the Bible that lifts up the loner, that lifts up the person who isolates themselves from the family of God. And yet we're like, man, I don't like people telling me what to do. I'm just going to go off by myself and figure it out on my own. You're trying to come up with a strategy in a place you don't need a new strategy. You just need to obey. Generationally, people want to try to reinvent the gospel message and the plan of salvation to make it more palatable to every new generation. And the most amazing thing about the gospel is that it, it applies to all cultures and all generations. You don't need to reinvent the plan of salvation for you or your friends. It's there. Sometimes the Bible refers to human plans as schemes. And they're not usually spoken of well. <laughs> scheme, you don't use the word scheme if you're happy about something. But this is what James says in 4. And just imagine this in, in living your life, your independent life, where you make your own plans about things. James 4.13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So my point is very simple. Sometimes the perfect plan has already been made. It's already been designed. You just have to obey it. It's in the, it's in the scriptures. It's in the word of God. And you might be saying, so is, is, that, is that everything? Is everything in the Word of God? Is the recipe for the best, you know, chocolate cake in the, in the Bible? I'll just do a word search in my concordance, and it'll all be laid out. No, we know that's not true. So you might be saying, well, what is, how does the Bible tell me how to balance my, like, kids' travel soccer league schedule? Well, 
don't look for the word soccer in the Bible because you're not going to find it. So there are things that we need to figure out. And that's where wisdom comes in. We have to strive for wisdom like it's the most valuable, precious thing in the whole world. You're not going to find a verse that will tell you how to balance your kid's travel soccer schedule. Or you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that will help you overcome uh, internet pornography addiction. The word internet is not in the Bible, people. So we have to use wisdom to make plans to be victorious spiritually. In John 14, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be leaving soon. But there's going to be someone coming after me. He calls him the advocate, the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all the things, teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So we need to rely on wisdom and the Holy Spirit to help us make wise choices in the world. As we grow closer to wisdom, we start making and setting the plans that lead to victory spiritually. Does that mean we're not going to make mistakes? We're definitely going to make mistakes. And this is why, going back to community for a second, this is why you need to have wise people in your life who rely on the Holy Spirit, who you can, you can put your plans before and say, I've been praying about this, but what do you think too? What is the Holy Spirit telling you about this? And then listen. And so we just try to run our lives the best way we can, and then it doesn't go well. This is what I want to say about that. Sometimes... We make plans when we don't need one, and we don't make plans when we do need one. And we wonder why our lives are spiritually just frantic. We just feel like we're just running around powerless to have victories. Because we might be lacking the obedience that we need. We might be rejecting the wisdom that we need. You will not make it through life spiritually victorious without some plan or strategy. Now, that plan doesn't have to always come from you. Like we just said, there are plans in the Bible. But everything, every good and perfect thing is some, from some design. So here's my, here's my question again. What is your plan? And your plan will be different based on the battle that you're in. So maybe some of you have been studying the Bible and you're wrestling, you're fighting with the decision. Can I do this? Can I make Jesus Lord of my life? There's a plan for that. Maybe some of you are baby Christians and you're just trying to like break some old habits, form some new habits, you know, tread water just to stay afloat spiritually. There is a plan for that. Some of you maybe have been disciples for a little while, but you're trying to figure it out. How do I, how do I keep Jesus Lord of my life? 
Because it was easy for a while, and now, man, it's not that easy. And then maybe some of you have been Christians for like 20 plus years, and the fight is different. The fight is, how do I keep that fire going? It's just, do all spiritual fires in people's hearts burn out over time? That's your battle? There's a plan for that too. Or maybe you're way over here, and you're just, you're just fighting to decide, do I even believe in a God? Who is this Jesus guy? There is a plan for that also. So what is your plan? I just put before you guys, the, the answer is found in the Word of God. The answer is found in the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to us for disciples. And then the, the answer is found in the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of spiritual advisors. Amen? I love you guys. Thank you so much. Oh, you just missed?